0: Section number nine of The Strange Visitation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise Black, Atlanta, Georgia. The Strange Visitation by Marie Corelli. A muffled and monotonous sound of chanting the twinkling of many bright lights and the subdued rustling movement of many people gathered together these were the next impressions that awakened mcnason to renewed consciousness he stood in what seemed a shadowy forest of architecture there were great marble monuments all around him inscribed with the names of famous poets warriors and historians and on one of these the goblin squatted cross-legged beside him blinking with its owl-like eyes there's not a seat to be had mcnason it remarked with a leer you must stand oh beelzebub what a thing it is to be a fashionable preacher nothing draws so well nowadays as an atheist in holy orders not even our reverend brother firebrand oh hooroo! mcnason looked bewilderedly about him surely he knew the place he was in its blackened arches its shadowy aisles were not wholly unfamiliar gradually he recognized it as that melancholy valhalla of english departed greatness westminster abbey but why had his uncanny incubus professor goblin brought him hither what had he to do with the dense crowd of people massed round him all looking all listening hush the monotonous chanting ceased there was a brief pause of pretense at prayer and then a man's voice clear and incisive, but with a falsetto ring of cold superciliousness and irony in its tone, sounded vibratingly on the silence. The church's ordained preacher of the gospel began to preach, and Josiah McNason, more than any other human unit in the congregation, was compelled to listen. And as he listened, he became aware that this same ordained preacher was calmly, but none the less surely, doing his best to undermine the very faith of which he was a professed disciple craftily and with cunningly devised arguments which held their meaning deftly secreted under a veil of choice expressions and well-turned phrases he spoke of old beliefs with delicate tolerance and compassion throwing in occasional questionings as to the meaning of miracles and setting down divine interposition as a fable or rather as a beautiful myth which in the darker ages of the world was eminently useful as a means of intimidating and chastening the spirits of the ignorant he spoke much of a new feeling which was awakening among more advanced and civilized humankind that special new feeling which looks upon man as in himself supreme and answerable to no higher tribunal than his own for his actions he deprecated the unfortunately chaotic state of things in the churches which prevented a full inquiry into the foundations of belief and hoped that the time was fast approaching when a larger and broader view might be obtained and humanity be absolved from special duties to a supernatural conception which might possibly be a mistaken conception after all in fine the drift of his involved and euphistic eloquence was to imply that pygmy man would in due course be permitted to fathom the mind of god and not only be permitted to fathom it but to criticize it question it and possibly condemn it after the same easy style and in the same casual fashion in which all humans criticism condemns what is too limited to comprehend and gradually it was forced in upon josiah mcnason's not always receptive intelligence that the rankest hearsay the vilest blasphemy was being preached from a christian pulpit by one who passing for a christian minister was nothing more nor less than a foul hypocrite and a disgrace to his sacred calling yet the congregation listened they did not rise at once and make a quiet exit as they should have done had they been honest and brave had they truly loved the faith which leads to heaven, yet their faces expressed a certain dull bewilderment. Some looked worried and sad, others perplexed, though many of them appeared indifferent, and certain words which he had heard often, yet which he had scarcely heeded while hearing them, came ringing across Macnason's mind as clearly as though they had just been spoken into his ears." and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold he trembled his eyes were dim but he could still see the atheist preacher's cold intellectual face he was still in a vague way conscious that the sermon was going on and that a human creature full to the very brows of self-sufficiency and conceit was presuming to lay down the law concerning the possible limitations of the divine a human creature, moreover, who occupied his very position in the church through having solemnly sworn fidelity to the master, who now, by the most covert subterfuges and sophistries, he was denying. And he was aware that a sense of uneasiness and discomfort affected nearly all present, including himself. He turned to look at the goblin. But to his amazement it had disappeared. Was he free, then? free once more to go where he liked and do as he liked he tried to move but his feet seemed fastened to the earth with iron weights he essayed to speak but his tongue refused to obey the impulse of his brain oh still on the voice of the atheist preacher in england's ancient abbey flowed with that equable fluency which comes of long and careful elocutionary practice and josiah mcneeson wedged as he was into the close pressing crowd wondered how long he would have to stand there listening to what at another more convenient time he might very likely have considered a clever and up-to-date expression of the new feeling all at once he saw a great light like that of the sun at noonday suddenly begin to shine with glorious effulgence it formed into a halo of exceeding brilliancy spreading from north to south from east to west of the old church between the choir and the nave and with a palpitating dread shaking his very soul josiah watched it widening and ever widening till taking upon itself the shape of a cross it fired the whole scene with the radiance of a golden morning yet no one saw it apparently no one save he the world's great millionaire who denying the supernatural was for the time under supernatural sway and trembling he beheld that wondrous cross move mysteriously forward till its light poured with a gracious beauty and beneficence over all the dull warm faces of the people on men and women and children alike though as it moved it left the face of the atheist preacher covered with darkness and in the very heart and center of its environment lustre, a majestic figure paced slowly, a godlike man whose features were sorrowful and whose brow was crowned with thorns. A faint whisper floated on the air like a sigh of small spirit voices in plaintive unison despised and rejected. Love divine and human, love perfect and eternal despised and rejected, even now down, down on his knees fell the man of many millions, overcome by the most poignant fear and shame he had ever known. He had disbelieved. He knew it, at last. He knew that he had, for the sake of public conventionality, made more hypocritical pretense to worship one whose sublime teaching he outraged every day of his life, whose commands he ignored, and whose example he had never at any time tried to follow. And now now with pulses beating as though they would burst and eyes dim with painful tears wrung from the centre of the rocky region of his heart he sought to cover his face but was forced against his will to gaze half blind and giddy as he was on the majestic advancing shape which appeared to draw away all the shadows of the great cathedral and transfuse them into light he noticed with an extraordinary anguish which to him was as new as it was keen that the crowded congregation of people among whom he knelt seemed totally unaware of the shining presence that passed them by and as that presence moved slowly and silently towards the closed doors of the abbey he felt that he must cry out wildly look look kneel down and pray entreat him not to leave us for if he goes why should we remain but all utterance was denied him he could only watch and tremble slowly very slowly with a grand reproach expressed in every feature of its glorious countenance the heavenly vision of the crucified moved on the doors of the abbey opened noiselessly as though flung aside by invisible hands admitting a broad shaft of winter moonlight from the outer air and so never once looking back it passed out and away from the crowded church of christian worshippers and melting into the silvery radiance of the moon disappeared the doors closed darkly behind it and black shadows drooped from the dim cathedral arches hanging drearily over the people and filling the aisles and chapels with a dull noxious vapor and then with a sudden startling clangor out rang the bells again the bells hoarse and reproachful full of menace and foreboding loneliness and despair such a tolling chime they gave us might fit for the burial of all the faiths and aspirations of the world they spoke of death and not life of the black grave from which all hope of resurrection had been taken with a sob in their savage metal throats they proclaimed the closing of the gates of heaven with harsh resistance they bewailed the loss of confidence in god of trust in the future of comfort in sorrow and with dismal and heavy reverberations they thundered forth death 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 is the end of all there shall be no hereafter within the abbey the people looked doubtfully at one another some smiled some sighed one or two had tears in their eyes a faint whisper ran from lip to lip christmas day they murmured it is christmas day and again they sighed and smiled but it was evident that the old festival for them held no meaning no tender or pious memory once perhaps it might have had but now why now the very spirit and soul of christmas had departed the doors of the christian church itself were closed against it the divine friend of mankind had passed by unheeded and had gone away from those who were passively permitting his honour to be assailed what then was christmas day but the mere empty name of a discarded blessing the dark shadows steadily thickened and josiah still grovelling on the ground with the awful clang of the moaning bells in his ears felt that he was being stifled and pressed down into a tomb of everlasting icy cold when he was suddenly plucked up from his knees by the grip of a too familiar claw and lo the goblin stood confronting him with a sad and sober grin dull place westminster abbey it remarked oh hooroo, all damp and dismal i wouldn't be an england's great man for anything it's the last reward an england's great man ever gets the honor oh hoo of being allowed to molder among the most moldered remains that ever moldered hoo i'm glad the body i used to wear when i was a churchwarden is all turned into daisies in a country churchyard pretty thing daisies fancy your old wrinkles turning into them mcnason was silent he stood quietly resigned to the goblin's clutch waiting for its next move and while he waited he saw the crowd in front of him sway part asunder and begin to disperse while the atheist preacher descending from the pulpit held brief conversation with a man who took from his hand a roll of paper mcnason could hear him speaking despite the space between them here's my sermon in full he said i hope you will give it to the widest publicity the copy contains a good many effective bits which i was obliged to leave out with a mixed congregation you never know how people may take the upsetting of their cherished creeds in such work, the press can do more than the pulpit. Nothing like a good press discussion for shaking the old foundations, and I think my remarks are likely to cause a fluttering in the dovecoats. The reporter, for such he was, smiled. You are not afraid of your archbishop, he said. The atheist preacher laughed. My archbishop? He has no time to give his attention to any such matter as this. He's too busy with the claims of the poor clergy. They both laughed then, shook hands, and separated. McNason in the goblin's grasp watched them go their several ways, and then suddenly recovering his speech said, That man ought to be put out of the church. Quite right. So he ought, agreed the goblin. You are getting quite discriminating, Josiah. He ought to be put out of the church, but who's going to do it? He isn't drunk or disorderly. He's a liar and a hypocrite, and he's taking his salary on false pretenses. But there are hundreds, perhaps thousands like him. Besides, those who live in a glass house shouldn't throw stones. You're as bad as he is in your way. You pretend. I have pretended, said Macnason humbly. The goblin looked at him and closed one round eye in a most horrible and portentous wink. I see, it observed. You're preparing to make a good end. You're like the naughty duchess. Oh, hooroo! what a character she was she went the pace as hard as ever she could till she was quite worn out and could count her crow's feet then she began to go to church regularly and became publicly charitable she turned herself into a bizarre lady opened several soup kitchens and used to cry over the newest sweet thing in curates naughty naughty duchess when she died an eminent dean preached a sermon about her she left him five thousand pounds in her will he said she was one of the noblest women that ever lived. And she's one of us now. Oh hoo. Don't you try to be like her, McNason. It doesn't pay. Come along. Come and take a look at London. With a fantastic caper, the goblin sidled and skipped out of the abbey, its conical cap glowing like the flame of a will o' the wisp in a dark morass, while passively and without any strength to resist its imperious lead, the millionaire followed in the full radiance of a moon which made the streets as light as day they presently stood and as in a fevered dream josiah saw the familiar clock tower of westminster the great square in front of the houses of parliament and the twinkling lamps on the bridge that spans the steely gleam of the river thames The dull human roar of the great metropolis thundered in his ears like the rushing of many waters, and while he yet looked on the scene, which he knew so well, the goblin took off its cap and touched his eyes with its tasseled point. Tick-tock, tick-tock, only two thousand years by the spirit's clock, it said, and lo, the stately tower, buildings, and streets disappeared. Smooth green fields spread out on every side, full flowering with meadows, sweet buttercups and daisies there was no longer any bridge across the river which flowing calmly between low banks of mossy turf and fern reflected the sunshine in a thousand sparkles and plashed against the double shores with musical murmurs of peace a flock of sheep grazed on the quiet pasture and their shepherd sat at his ease by the side of the placid stream and now the goblin waved its spidery arms ask him it said what has become of london obediently Macnason put the question the shepherd turned upon him, a young, wondering face. "'London,' he echoed. Then he smiled. "'Oh, yes, I think I know what you mean. There was a city of that name somewhere about here once, but I don't know exactly where. There's nothing of it left now.' "'Nothing,' exclaimed Macnason, aghast. "'Nothing.' And the goblin, pronouncing this word, waved its arms again, whereupon the vision vanished. "'Nothing. Not a shred, not a brick, not a bone.' not even a gold coin all the business gone all the pleasure all the scheming plotting lying cheating villainy hatred and envy of one human creature contesting with the other gone all the self-sufficiency learning little wisdom and utter godlessness gone such will london be in two thousand years and nature will not miss it nature can do without it very well nature can do without you equally well The sun will go on shining and the birds will go on singing, none the less because you are wanting. Come along, come along, and the spirit of one Timothy two times up. Off we go on our last journey once more. Josiah fell on his knees. Spare me, he cried. Spare me. Surely I have suffered enough. Suffered. You, O oh, Beelzebub, and the goblin began to elongate itself in its own peculiar and terror-striking style you've only just begun to know what it is to feel you hard old scoundrel you talk of suffering why you have lived till over sixty years of age caring nothing at all for the troubles of others unless you could turn such troubles to your own advantage as a child you were selfish as a boy you were selfish as a young man you were selfish as an old man you were selfish you have crushed out hundreds of human lives in your factories as if they were mere ants swarming under your iron heel you have cut down the expenses of your business to the narrowest meanest most pitiful margin you sweat your laborers to such an extent that you know you dare not walk through your own workshops without a revolver in your pocket and a man on either side of you for protection you are living curse to the majority of those you employ and they look for your death in the hope that after you are gone they will have a kinder master and you quote shakespeare do you and the bible Oh, hooroo Come along, time's up, I tell you, and we're not going far. Just a little seesaw ride to a home sweet home, a last long home, a happy home. Uh Hooroo! One Timothy, two, and away we go. End of section nine. Recording by Elise Black, Atlanta, Georgia.